Volume One, Chapter Five of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: If You Were Queen. What would you do if you were queen? Bellarmin asked. He was deeply interested in her vivid faith, in her own power to settle much perplexed economical problems. I can't tell you offhand, Mary answered, with a certain self-sufficing imperiousness of manner, but I can tell you this, Mr. Bellarmin, I would do something. I would devote my life and my thoughts and my care to it. I would set my heart on settling the question, and I should end in settling it. I would never rest happy while a single honest Englishman or Englishwoman was starving for want of employment, and hundreds of thousands of other Englishmen and Englishwomen who never wrought one stroke of work in their lives were sinking into the mere corruption of too much wealth. Yes, if I were queen, queens can do so much. Things are very bad in America. In the United States, Lord Stonehenge struck in, the contrast between extreme of wealth and extreme of poverty is equally terrible there, I am told. Yes, Mary answered, shifting her ground with quick, sweet, woman-like disregard of logical consistency. But then, America has not a queen. Everything is left there to drag on at the mercy of politicians and political economists and all that, and there is no presiding influence, no presiding sympathy to intervene and give a chance to something better. Well, I should try if I had the chance. Now nobody cares— it is every one for himself and God for us all. Only fancy God being for the set of wretches who were every one for himself. She flung her handkerchief on the desk with the air of a sovereign who throws down his truncheon to signify that enough has been done in a duel, that the fight is over and that the combatants must now be parted. There was nothing new in what she had been saying. Bellarmine admitted that to himself. Her logic was crude, her facts were faulty. It was all just the same sort of thing that he had heard many a woman say before. Almost every sweet-natured, intelligent woman in countries like ours has said the same at one time or another. The fact is that women never did and never will acknowledge the absolute authority of economic law. The intelligent women do not go the length of saying that there is no fixed economic law, only they have the impertinence to suggest that men have not yet got an absolutely certain knowledge of the exact interpretation of the law. Woman is by nature a mutinous creature, and on this question of political economy she will not allow herself to admit that her husband or her brother or her father is infallible. They are a poor lot, these women. They can never reason, says Mr. Hunks, M.P., after a futile attempt to persuade his wife that the eternal conditions of human society justify starvation and the three halfpence for the making of a shirt. Bellarmine was not without some secret misgiving about the woman's view of the subject. He fancied sometimes that she had got hold of her half of the truth and that the man had not quite got hold of his and that some day or other an attempt must be made by statesmanship to bring the two halves together in the construction of a sound social system. But even if Bellarmine did not admit to the full all the feminine reasoning of Mary Stuart Beaton, he was none the less charmed with her fresh sweetness of nature, her generous impulsiveness, 
her bold self-confidence her simplicity her quick and flashing sympathy a man he thought felt braver and better for talking to her for hearing her talk can you do nothing in the house of commons mr bellarmin she suddenly asked nothing nothing whatever nothing at least that you would call anything i am speaking now of what we call independent members they can't do anything even if we saw our way to any proposal and we don't what could we do put on some motion by the favor of the ballot for a tuesday night and if we succeeded in getting an early date bring on our motion and be counted out but why don't you all stand together you independent members and not be counted out because he answered gravely we english are a practical people mary said no more and they passed into another corridor and after some further wandering and an attempt to hear part of a speech from the back row of chairs in the ladies gallery they went down to the terrace as they were going down a telegram was thrust into bellarmin's hand he glanced at it this is what it contained am coming up to town tonight shall be at spinola's be sure to go want to talk to you tressel lady struthers thought all that she heard about politics in england very shocking it was her first visit to the house of commons and she asked many questions wanted to know who the men in wigs were sitting at the table and why members got up and walked this way and that like a flock of sheep when the bell rang and if it were a division why weren't sir victor champion and mr bellarmin in their places and since it was all of no consequence what was the good of wasting people's time for nothing general falcon who in a quiet way was amassing a good deal of information had already made a mental note of tressel as a man who ought to be propitiated on the subject of mary beaton's claims to the forfeited stuart property these two principal members of miss beaton's household differed in one important respect falcon was reticent and made his observations in secret lady struthers blurted out her opinions with an undesirable lack of discretion people who knew both looked upon lady struthers as a harmless good-natured person but there were many who regarded falcon with vague dislike and distrust as has been seen lady saxon and sir victor were passing by when mary beaton and her companions came out through the massive doorway on to the terrace mary noticed that lady saxon paused in her walk noticed also the look she turned on bellarmin an involuntary movement on bellarmin's part also struck the young girl she was going to ask him a question about the regal-looking woman whom she had remarked in the lobby and whom she concluded to be a person of consequence when general falcon pressed rather eagerly forward mr bellarmin can you tell me who is that lady that is lady saxon replied bellarmin the wife of lord saxon to whom we spoke in the lobby the wife of lord saxon is it possible she has not been long married about two years answered bellarmin carelessly why do you ask oh for no particular reason i fancied that i recognized her as a lady whom i have seen in schwalbenstadt lady saxon's first husband was a german said bellarmin he turned to miss beaton do you admire lady saxon she is considered one of the most beautiful women in london yes i think her very beautiful answered mary a little constrainedly but i don't know that i like her they say mr bellarmin that women are not fair judges of one another 
i am quite sure that i should not like to have lady saxon for an enemy or even for a friend the words made bellarmin colour a little and wince almost start they touched him even hurt him in a curious way miss beaton saw that she had given him pain oh, i ask your pardon she said earnestly i am so sorry i forgot that lady saxon was a friend of yours i really meant nothing mr bellarmin it was only my absurd impulsive way of saying right out any nonsensical idea that comes into my mind i hope you will always speak to me in the same frank way bellarmin said he too yielding to sudden impulse and he spoke the words with a certain emotion which a little surprised miss beaton general falcon was standing near them looking impatient just then a soft sheet of summer lightning enveloped the scene and there came a long low roll of thunder come madame general falcon said imperatively it is time to leave this place a storm is coming my good falcon there is no need for haste we are near enough to shelter if rain should come but you ought not to remain any longer falcon remonstrated madame will perceive too that she is keeping mr this gentleman from his parliamentary duties which i have no doubt are highly important general falcon spoke in accents of hardly suppressed passion miss beaton looked up surprised a cloud gathered on her face you must forgive the zeal of my friend general falcon she said turning to bellarmin he is always somewhat too anxious about me general falcon's zeal for you doesn't need any excuse bellarmin answered it can only recommend him to all your friends bellarmin really felt what he said he was not in the least angry with falcon the acquaintance is too short for mr bellarmin to presume to call himself one of madame's friends falcon interposed rudely bellarmin now indeed felt angry and was on the point of expressing his anger in words miss beaton stopped him with a look you are forgetting yourself general falcon she said coldly and with decision i have to ask mr bellarmin as a favour to me to forgive your rudeness and to believe as i do that it is not meant to give offence at this moment lady saxon who had again passed stopped and turned her keen eyes and quick perceptions took in the whole of the little group she saw the embarrassed look of bellarmin the enforced composure of miss beaton the smouldering fury in falcon's eyes another flash of summer lightning illumined and emphasized the living picture lady saxon could not of course understand its meaning but it told her of some existing elements of discord and she was pleased she marked out falcon from that moment as a man to be studied then with the manner of one who yields to a sudden impulse she advanced towards the group lord stonehenge was with her now as well as sir victor champion she came directly to where miss beaton stood i have asked lord stonehenge to make me known to miss beaton she said my husband i believe has already had the honour of being presented bellarmin felt surprised it was not like lady saxon to seek acquaintanceship with one of her own sex in this informal fashion her manner was graceful and winning and mary frankly accepted the courtesy though with a certain dignity which was observed by both sir victor and bellarmin there was some desultory conversation about the beauty of the night and the summer lightning and the debate which was going on general falcon and lady struthers were presented and then lady saxon and bellarmin fell back a few steps she asked him to take her to her carriage and bade good-night to miss beaton 
saying that she hoped to be permitted to call upon her shortly i dare say we shall meet later on this evening she said to rolfe where are you going i am going to madame spinola's he answered madame spinola's repeated lady saxon i don't know madame spinola i didn't suppose that you ever found your way into bohemia lady saxon bellarmine said it's a country that befriended me when i was a homeless waif and i owe it some gratitude no i'm afraid i shan't turn up at any of the places that you were going to this evening good-night she said there was something caressing in her voice the footman was holding her carriage door she stepped forward then turned her head back looking at him half over her shoulder remember to-morrow she murmured still in the same caressing manner presently she had stepped into the carriage the door was closed and she was whirled off rolf bellarmine lingered a few minutes in the stone-paved square at the entrance to the ladies gallery he took out a cigarette and lighted it and said a few words to the policeman on duty it was getting late now the deep notes of big ben sounded the quarter to eleven late that is to outsiders for busy fashionable women with a ball or two on hand as well as for members of the house of commons real night business was only just beginning two or three broughams were drawn up in the courtyard one of these which had the appearance of a carriage let out by the season bellarmine conjectured to be that of miss beaton he wondered if she too were going on to some ball and decided that she was not mary stuart in her black velvet gown and coif-like bonnet seemed an incongruous figure against the unpoetic background of london society why did she dress like her far-off ancestress was it part of the masquerade part of the game or only a girlish whim was she rich or a mere high-born adventuress with whose shadowy claims general falcon was trading rolfe recalled all that he had heard or fancied now that he had heard of miss beaton's parentage and connections no he felt sure that she was if not rich certainly not poor he had a dim recollection of having read in some book of memoirs of an estate left to the stuarts in the latter days of anne by a devotee of their cause and confiscated by the hanoverians there was some reality then in the claims she had come to urge and about which in talking to lady saxon he had by some momentary freak seemed to know a great deal more than he actually did know the girl interested him she was old-world poetic she appealed to the romantic vein in his nature she stood out in his imagination like some moonlit statue that once seen is never forgotten as he strolled irresolutely down the covered archway he had a vague intention of going to seek her a curious consciousness of disloyalty to lady saxon checked the impulse and he crossed into palace yard a sudden contrast to the cloistral enclosure he had left there seemed something at once fantastic and workaday in the aspect of the place a blending of the past and the present of the ideal and the actual bellarmine had in his nature a greater admixture of the dreamer than he would have been ready to admit he was struck by this thought to-night the great square with its innumerable lamps its bustle and movement the men passing to and fro the carriages and cabs the newspaper messengers hurrying with latest intelligence to the shed where their horses stood saddled and then the majestic walls of the building the spectral clock-tower rising aloft the grey solemn time-stained abbey which appeared so little in keeping with the roar and rush of the london night all had been suddenly magnetized for him by some new spell of association 
and had been perfumed by that essence of poetry which ever since helican's diviner days is most often distilled by a woman but bellarmin did not trace his vague sense of intoxication to its subtle source he believed that what he felt was a keen thrill of triumph in the success which had made him part of this throbbing life around him and which had set him here to help in weaving the threads of england's destinies it seemed only the other day that he had come to westminster an obscure youth with apparently no chance of ever distinguishing himself and now now i've turned out the liberals and champion is making overtures to me he said to himself and then another thought set his pulses tingling lady saxon's boudoir was a dangerous place lady saxon was beautiful it was her whim to play the game of political intrigue he knew this he had often told himself that forewarned is forearmed but already his fancy was reveling in anticipation of the morrow of the hour in her companionship he half hated himself for this eager longing there were times when he almost hated lady saxon for her influence over him her cool fencing excited and irritated him it was alternate allurement and recoil pastime becoming conflict with an effort he wrenched his mind away from lady saxon he had much of the typical schoolboy's enjoyment of contrast and variety now for bohemia he said half aloud he delighted to jump from serious debate to rollicking fun from the atmosphere of pathos and poetry into that of club gossip and drawing-room frivolity he got into a hansom and gave the order to drive to madame spinola's end of volume one chapter five